<laughs> the transfer window is part of the Daily Record Podcast Network. Subscribe at iTunes or Audio Boom. Good day. Welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, where we take you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. On this week's pod, super agent Mino Riola says Juve's Paolo Dybala will end up in the Premier League next season. Is he right, or is the master Machiavellian using sleight of hand to mask a move for the player to his preferred country of Spain? And will the former pizza waiter carve out yet another giant wedge for himself in the process? Real Madrid have made contact with Alexis Sanchez agent about a January move or even a pre-contract. Could he do a figo and cross the bitter El Clasico divide? Reports have reached transfer window towers that Barcelona have refocused their continual interest elsewhere. What next for the want-away, forced-to-stay midfield maestro? As PSG put five past Celtic in Glasgow, are we already seeing the fruits of their transfer window largesse? And was the guy who tried to kick Mbappe a member of the UEFA FFP squad? I'm Joy McFarlane and I'm delighted to welcome regular guests, transfer mensch Ian McGarry and sports journalist extraordinaire Duncan Castles. Gentlemen, let's kick off with Dybala. It wasn't long ago he was partnering Kyle Lafferty and now it seems like he's wanted by some of the biggest clubs on earth. What's happening there, Ian? Well, Kyle Lafferty and Paolo Dybala in the same sentence is a sensational <laughs> intro there. Well done, Johnny. Um, <laughs> this is someone who... Um, uh, and a friend of mine, Mr. Philip Neville, formerly of Manchester United Everton, um, talked up uh, in huge ways uh, when he was still playing in Argentina before he, uh, he went to Juventus. And um, his return of 39 goals in 82 games in all competitions is seriously impressive. Not only that, for anyone uh, listening who's watched Juventus play and watched Dybala's range of goal-scoring ability, they will know that he is probably the, if not, uh, well, the most exciting, if not one of the most exciting players currently playing uh, in European football and world football. Uh, Head, left foot, right foot, free kicks, um, open play. This boy can score from any situation. And I think Juventus were uh, both clever and a little bit fortunate that they signed his uh, his extension to his contract in March of this year, therefore ruling him out kind of of any kind of transfer move in what was the most ridiculous financial window of all time. No doubt PSG would probably have bought Dybala again had he not signed that, co- as well as uh, Mbappe and uh, Neymar, had he not signed that contract. So um, the fact that Raiola, who, as we know, is very well connected to Juventus, um, he masterminded Paul Pogba's transfer to Manchester United for a then-record fee last summer. I think we have to take it seriously. Raiola may or may not be directly involved with the player at this moment in time. Um, my sources tell me Dybala is in the course of negotiating his way out of his current agent's contract, which suggests that Raiola may be the one who's negotiating his way in. So, what does that say? It says Raiola uh, is... Um, confident that he will come to the Premier League. He mentioned Manchester City, Manchester United and Chelsea, which is fair enough because they are the three most financially powerful clubs um, in the Premier League. And if Dybala wants to play in England, then you know clearly he will join one of the, the so-called super clubs. However, that does contradict sort of 
I guess, given knowledge. And that was that Dybala was more keen personally on a move to Spain um, with Real Madrid and Barcelona both interested. The one thing for sure, Jory and Duncan, is that Dybala will be next year's Neymar stroke Mbappe. Um, that clause, uh, sorry, that deal was signed w- with a rescission clause and I'm told it's around 100 million euros, which in the window we've just saw close is an absolute bargain for a 23-year-old super striker. Um, I'm just interested about the uh, whether or not there is a deal to England or whether or not Spain's a more likely destination for Dybala, but I reckon Duncan will probably have a an inside view on that. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. Juventus were were very canny in that they they managed to sign Dybala to that improved contract just after um, that sensational performance he had for Juve um, in the quarterfinals of the Champions League against to knock Barcelona Barcelona out of the Champions League last uh, season. Um, after that happened, uh, I was you know discussing with the Juventus contact contact about it and they didn't actually rule out him moving in the summer um the, the it was one of those deals described to me as one of those deals where they ensured that they got a higher transfer fee for the player kept them happy for the rest of the season by increasing his wages and then you see would see how the situation would develop uh, as we know he did stay um there was i think uh, an interest from barcelona in taking him when they were um scouting around the market trying to get something done in the window but um, by that stage it was too late for Juventus who are who are a very well organised club and who don't like to mess around in the, the, the final stages of the transfer window losing key players so they, they blocked that deal. Um, Raiola's involvement is is fascinating if he's talking on the record and, and starting to, to mention um, English clubs and Real Madrid as as candidates for his signature. You can be sure that he will be involved in there one way or another, um, looking to make another um, huge commission for himself. Um, where will he go? I think I think I agree with you, and I think his preference will be to go to Spain. Um, you, it's kind of a mark of the transfer market down the years when when you look at the very very top players. How often do they choose to go to England over Barcelona or Real Madrid? It rarely happens. We might have a, a, something changing in the transfer market in, in terms of the, the tax cases that people like Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi and Neymar have run into, which have seen Neymar leave and seen Ronaldo say he wants to leave. But in terms of preference of league, in terms of preference of environment to play in, I don't think you're going to see... For, especially for an Argentine or South American player, them actively prefer to move to England ahead of Spain um, at this stage. And I, I, I noticed Raiola mentioned Real Madrid. For me, that would be the, the, the interesting candidate because Madrid haven't done the big deal in this last window. Um, Ronaldo wants to leave. Uh, Gareth Bale, Real Madrid aren't convinced about. Um, tried to sell him in this window. So there, potentially, you've got two um, top-line, very expensive attacking players on the market again for Real Madrid. And, and if they sell one of those, they'll definitely be looking for a replacement. And Dybala is obviously a strong candidate for that. One of the things that we've talked about in the past on this podcast at Manchester City is Pep Guardiola's lack of faith in Sergio Aguero. 
Paulo de Bala strikes me as a guy who'd be the perfect replacement for Aguero. True. True, Johnny. Yeah, he, he would be. Um, and remember, it's not a thing about um, a personal lack of trust between uh, Aguero and Guardiola. It's Guardiola doesn't rate his conversion rate. Uh, that's Aguero, that is, even though his, his actual stats stand up in terms of goals to games played. He thinks he's wasteful, and Duncan's gone into detail about that in the past. I, I agree, Dybala would be perfect, um, except that Aguero managed to um, out-pep Pep, as it were, in this last window, because there's no doubt that he was available for transfer, and he's still there, and he scored a wonderful goal for Manchester City um, in the Champions League on Wednesday night, um, and has indeed scored uh, already in the Premier League. Um, so he seems to be, Pep, like him or not, a part of the, the, the plans in the short term. Um, with Dybala, um, what you're not uh, going to get is a player arriving at a club where he doesn't think he's going to play every single game because Dybala is that good that he can demand uh, that his he's ever present as long as he's fit. And of course, if you're paying a lot of money and you've got that kind of talent, that's something which is your prerogative. So uh, with Gabriel Jesus, uh, obviously the preferred option in a, in a Manchester City lineup, which includes one striker, then I think Dybala would be a little bit reticent about moving to Manchester City. Um, although, as you point out, Johnny, the, the whole um, succession, if you like, of Argentina striker to Argentina striker would be very sexy in terms of narrative. Uh, I, I do think Duncan's calling it correct that Real Madrid would be preferred protocol. And if it weren't for the fact that Gareth Bale is... Um, refusing to leave Real Madrid, then um, I think we've already seen Mbappe at Real Madrid, uh, as we spoke uh, about that on last week's podcast. Now, now Mbappe is tied to Paris Saint-Germain. Um, what Zinedine Zidane, and probably more importantly, uh, Real Madrid need to do is re redesign that ageing trident forward line that they now have not saying it's not just as it's not as effective as it once was because it is, but Benzema is now twenty nine going on thirty, Cristiano is thirty one, and Bale is twenty seven, twenty eight. I think he's twenty eight now. So Real Madrid need to look to reinvigorate that uh, forward three, and Dybala would be, I think, a perfect fit for them, which of course has its you know side advantages or it's little perks for English clubs because they will be able to then perhaps pick up one of that, uh, the BBC as they're called, or maybe even one of two of those three if uh, Real decide to have a proper clear next summer. So um, what you've got is a very interesting situation going forward. Transfers like Dybala, Stroke Bale, Ronaldo, Benzema, any of those four players moving don't just happen in a week. That requires several months of negotiations with regards to the players' personal terms and uh, agreeing fee and uh, payment structure between the clubs. So cast, you can be guaranteed that those kind of negotiations are already happening. You mentioned Mino Riola there, and one of his clients is obviously Paul Pogba, who was injured in the Champions League game. How big an issue, Duncan, is that for Manchester United going forward? Because he's been absolutely superb so far this season. Yeah, look, it's it's a big loss for them because he is central to the midfield. Um, you know, I, I, I interviewed um, Jose Mourinho 
uh, last week. Um, and we talked a lot about his transfer strategy and the way he was rebuilding the squad and how he felt he was two-thirds of the way through the rebuild he wanted to do, which when he, he first came to the club, he envisaged that it would require three windows, three summer windows to get them to the, the stage he wanted to get them back to, which is as genuine competitors for the Champions League. And the, the first player he talked about as being part of that rebuild was Paul Pogba um, for a number of, of elements, first and foremost, his abilities on the field, um, but also the fact that he had, it, he, he said it, it sent out a message to the rest of football that Manchester United were prepared to pay that transfer fee for a player and prepared to take a player who had just um, played a Champions League final for Juventus uh, from a club that could afford to pay him very high wages and put them as a centrepiece of a, of a rebuilt squad. Um, and also he, he emphasised the fact that he's a player who can be um, significant to Manchester United, very significant to Manchester United, both on the pitch and from a commercial perspective and as a leader of players for the next 10 years. Um, in terms of what he's doing with the squad this season, you've seen Pogba used in, in two different ways, which is um, as, a, as a holding midfielder, uh, beside Matic, albeit with Matic doing more of the of the defensive shielding duties, but also as a number ten, um, when he brings Flaney onto the the, the field, and and then he, he that allows him to move Pogba up closer to Lukaku um, into the second line of attack, and it's been very productive in terms of scoring goals. Um, it seems that injury is worse than the, than they'd expected. Um, it, was, it was kind of a strange one. He was uh, he was covering. Um, a Basel midfielder. The pitch was very wet. Uh, at first, when I watched, I wasn't sure whether he was trying to slide tackle the the, the, defend, the midfielder and, and take the ball from him. I think he just slipped on the turf and um, tried to run it off. And one of those situations where you, you you end up he ends up sitting down in the pitch, shaking his head, and and they take him away. And I think they were hopeful it was going to be. Just a minor um, hamstring issue, but it looks like it's going to be four to six weeks. He was certainly he was on crutches as he left um, the stadium on Tuesday night. Um, it reduces their their midfield options for sure. And I know uh, Mourinho has been very happy with the the way Fellaini's been playing for him. And and interestingly, he came on the pitch on Tuesday, scored a goal, um, set another goal up. And I think I think the statistics are something like of the 15 goals that that Manchester United have scored this season, Fellaini's been on the pitch for 12 of them, something like that. It's a it's a remarkable number given that he's um, he's not actually started most of those games. Were you in the stadium for those games as well, Duncan? Because you could claim some credit there as well. <laughs> Only the last two. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies, apologies. I'm a Fellaini cynic. You have to forgive me for that. You don't like you don't like Fellaini. No, no, no. I don't. No, I think he's very effective. I think he saves um, Jose putting a uh, centre half up front uh, in the closing stages of games where he needs to try and get a goal uh, because he can trust Fellaini to do that. And Fellaini's very athletic. He's very physical in his approach. I understand why uh, Jose Mourinho likes Fellaini. It's just that I, you know, I, I, as a footballer, I, I see him as a kind of a, you know, a, a some kind of you know, basic caveman type effect, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that's what Josie admires in him, and that's fine. Um, but 
personally, if a Manchester United team is to perform and par like a Ferrari, I, I think uh, Fellaini would be the guy changing the tyre. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating because Jose keeps referring to him. He's consistently saying this almost every every time he's asked a question about him, that he's one of the most important players in the squad. Um, not necessarily as a starting player, but in the options he gives gives them. And what, what you can see in the way he's playing is he's got immense confidence in himself now. Um, what, he he kind of looks like the player who was the key man for Everton before he joined Manchester United and, and, and then seemed to completely lose his head for a season and not, not have a clue what he was doing. Um, he on, on Tuesday night, he was actually... Um, there was a point where he went running down the wing... <laughs> Took a defender on and and backheeled it to one of his his uh, his teammates on the run, which is um, which is not what you'd expect from the caveman footballer as as you do. No, that's true. I, I think it's what's interesting uh, as well, Duncan, about the Manchester midfield is when the the Gareth Bale thing blew up around the uh, the Super Cup game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I think we both agreed that Mourinho would have preferred a more versatile midfielder than Gareth Bale to join in order to augment his already talented squad. Uh, now, he didn't get anyone in the end, and now we're looking at Matic playing uh, without Pogba. If it's going to be defensive midfield, he'll be partnering um, maybe Herrera, Fellaini, even Carrick. But then in the three attacking midfield positions, you've got the choice of uh, Mkhitaryan, the Irish legend, uh, Mata, Rashford and Martial. Um, so I'm not exactly sure. I think, in terms of um, living without the Paul Pogba factor, it's just that Pogba has been so influential in the opening games of the season. Yes. Um, and they've got important games coming up. The Manchester United-Everton game's a big game for them. That's the kind of... Although Everton aren't playing well, although Rooney's um, caused himself a lot of problems, you can expect Rooney to come back to Old Trafford and and want to um, set some records straight. Um, and, you know, you could see him scoring a goal there or, or creating a goal. And having dropped points to Stoke City, um, they need to win this match to sort of reassert that, that early season um, flow to their to their campaign. So it's not a game you want to be without Paul Pogba. And they've got some other big games coming up in the next few weeks, which again... Where you you want to have your best player available, so yeah, it will it will have an impact for sure. Moving from one side of Manchester to the other, guys, Alexis Sanchez remains one of the most sought-after players in the market, and it looked like a deal with Manchester City was essentially tied up. But perhaps not from what we're hearing. Could a deal with Real Madrid happen? Well, this is something that's been bubbling under the surface, Johnny, um, in in Madrid over the last few days. Uh, I think. Madrid's business in the window was limited, as we know. They they failed to sign Mbappe um, when they wanted him, and uh, they've essentially uh, got more or less the same squad, some minor additions. Um, the form of Marcus Asensio, whom we've discussed at great length and mainly with Graham Hunter swearing, um, <laughs> has been very important for them, although obviously uh, he was absent from their 3-0 victory over Apoel Nicosia a result of a leg-shaving injury, um, which probably says more about the player than it says about the leg. Um, so, uh, I think they will try and do business in January. Uh, I think the uh, the people who are talking about uh, Sanchez to Madrid are the ones in the know, 
uh, in Spain. And let's face it, he'd be a very, very good uh, addition to that squad. Um, he could easily substitute for Bale or Ronaldo, uh, or Ronaldo on either flank of the th- in the, in the three-man attack or even plays a false nine in place of Benzema. Um, the difficulty of, of that deal, uh, I'm not saying, I wouldn't be tremendously difficult because he's been away from Barcelona for a long time, but he would have to cross the El Clasico divide, as you put it. Um, it has been done before, obviously. Uh, players have done it um, in the past, not very uh, well, uh, res- um, or let's just say, respected when pigs', pigs heads start getting thrown in the pitch, etc., in the case of Luis Figo. But um, he wants out of Arsenal. Maybe he wants to return to Spain rather than go to Manchester City. The interesting, very interesting factor about any Alexis Sanchez transfer in January is that having played only in the Europa League for Arsenal, he will actually be given dispensation. One, a club has one dispensated player in the January window who can play in the Champions League or vice versa. So Sanchez could potentially play for a Champions League club in the knockout stages. Now, if you're a club looking to win the Champions League and you're going you know, fishing for a new player who might make the difference, I'd say you'd be hard beat to find one of them, Alexis Sanchez, Duncan. Yeah, that's a very good point, and it increases his value markedly to the, the exactly the kind of clubs who, who will be wanting to sign him. Um, if Madrid's interest is genuine, if they want to go serious about it, then obviously they have the advantage in terms of the club that Arsenal would prefer to sell to, because Arsenal have sold player after player to Manchester City. The fans don't like it. You don't want to sell to uh, a direct opponent albeit that Arsenal are, are certainly not direct opponents for the Premier League title anymore, but you don't want to sell within your own division. Um, so if they go head-to-head with Manchester City, who we know Sanchez wanted to join um, just a couple of weeks ago, and who we know still want to sign the player, albeit they're intimating that they won't offer anything like the money they offered a couple of weeks ago in the January window to try and soften Arsenal up, I think. Um, then Madrid will have the advantage there in terms of uh, the club-to-club deal. Um, Would they have the advantage in terms of the player deal? Possibly, yeah. Um, Because as we discussed, South American players prefer um, to move to Spain than they do to England. And um, Sanchez is already in England, but uh, moving from London to Manchester doesn't have the, the same appeal for players. I mean, having spent the last 10 days in Manchester um, and not had a day yet where it's not rained, I can understand why it doesn't appeal to people who, who grew up in says, says a man from Dundee. It's unbelievable. East Coast. East Coast versus West Coast, Ian. We're, 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 we're <laughs> ah, you'll your tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing, Johnny, we should say just quickly about Sanchez in terms of um, moving or not. He's out of contract next summer. Therefore, in January, from January the 1st, he will sign a pre-contract agreement which attaches him to his new club from uh, June the 30th of next season without any fee. Now, look, what we know for a fact is that Manchester City offers £60 million in the last window for Alexis Sanchez. A hell of a lot of money for a guy his age who's in the last year of his contract. But that's how much Pep Guardiola valued him. Um, And what we have to say is, well, if I'm Alexis Sanchez... Either I go to a club in January who I get sold to by Arsenal and they get they pocket a fee of, let's say, 35, 40 million quid. Or I hold out for six months, my value's not going down anywhere, and I pocket the, the, the majority of the fee as a signing-on fee that the club would have paid. And obviously, if he's doing it in Spain, just watch out, get a good tax lawyer. But um, apart from that, 
you know, that's got to be a consideration for the player. So um, it'll be very interesting to monitor the Sanchez situation in the transfer window podcast over the next three or four months. Yeah, I, I think I think one one thing that you you bring up an important point there from the player's perspective, from a football perspective. I don't see how Real Madrid can sell to him a better project than Pep Guardiola sold to him because Guardiola is saying, come and be a central player in my team, the, one of the most important attacking players in the team. I want you to replace the hero of the Manchester City fans, Kun Aguero, and I want you in there alongside Gabriel Jesus as we go and win the English title and win the Champions League. And if... Zinedine Zidane sells a similar project to him, I wouldn't be, and I was Alex Sanchez, I wouldn't believe the story he was selling. To yeah, him. I agree with that, Duncan. Well, from one transfer saga to another, it looks like Barca have potentially decided they're going to cut their losses on chasing Philip Coutinho. Is that the situation, guys, as it stands? Well, I think there may be a little bit um, of masquerading going on here. Uh, more pantomime horse and stalking horse Johnny. But um, Barcelona, having been obviously frustrated in their attempts to sign Coutinho um, in this summer's window and uh, declining Liverpool's invitation to pay €200 million for him, uh, it could be a case of, look, we're not interested anymore, we're going to make it public that we're uh, looking at Serie A at Nice. Is that correct, Duncan? The Ivory Coast? Yeah. Uh, where they they went sniffing in the summer as well, although he's nowhere near as an accomplished player as Felipe Coutinho is. Um, it wouldn't. Like Barcelona came out and made a statement, didn't they? They were very high and mighty. It was very much on their high horse, saying uh, we have to look after this club and we have to be financially, uh, fiscally um, prudent with regards to how much we think a player is valued and how much he's worth, and therefore we would not pay the two hundred million euro asking price that Liverpool um, had put on his head. And yet, they were you know they sold Neymar out the window for you know two hundred million euros as well, or two hundred twenty-two million euros. So um, I think we've got to take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt. Um, but at the same time, um, nine ten months is a long time in the transfer uh, process and in football. A new player will become available. We've already talked uh, about Paulo Dybala at, at Juventus. Barcelona could very easily shift their focus to Dybala or indeed any other player um, who is not as expensive as Coutinho. My sort of uh, concern for Liverpool is that uh, if Coutinho believes or feels that he's no longer wanted by Barcelona because um, that's what's being said publicly uh, and privately uh, by members of the board at the club, how will that motivate or demotivate him with regards to the coming weeks and months of the English Premier League and Champions League season. Um, I found it uh, hilarious, in fact, that Klopp said last Friday, uh, five days ago, that um, Coutinho would not be included in the squad uh, for a team that got massacred by Manchester City uh, last weekend because he hadn't had a proper pre-season, therefore needed to sharpen himself up. And yet there he appears on the bench on Wednesday night for the game against Seville. So what, has he done his entire pre-season in five days? Or did... Klopp actually realised what was the truth absolutely in front of him, which is, if he's your best player, and he actually is fit because he played two games for Brazil, get him in the squad and get him on the pitch. So, rather bizarre circumstances of Coutinho's sudden reappearance for, uh, for Liverpool on Wednesday night against Sevilla. Um, not obviously enough to stop them from only getting a draw in the first Champions League match. However, um, 
I think that's a problem that, that Liverpool will now need to address with regard to Coutinho in the next nine months. Um, and I'm sure Duncan would agree that if you've got a player who's unhappy or demotivated, that can be a major problem for you, especially one as good as he is. Yeah, look, I think you break it down to a lot of different elements here. First of all, Barcelona were all over the place in the last transfer market. Um, terrible, terrible efforts to execute their business, um, which I would include, by the way, the fact that they were prepared to pay 160 million euros for Coutinho, which for me is a extreme overvaluation of a very good player, but not a player who would have been on that transfer fee, the third highest um, valued player in the history of the game, which he clearly doesn't merit. Um, you've also got the element here in that the, the whole board of Barcelona and, and include within that the, the football directorate, the people who are making the decisions on transfers, don't actually know if they're still going to be at the club in a year's time. So um, in terms of Barcelona potentially dropping their interest in Coutinho, we need to wait to see who's actually taking the decisions on transfers come next summer. Now, from Coutinho's perspective, what is, what's very clear is that part of his motivation in pushing for the move in this past summer and pushing hard for the move in this past summer was he was very aware of that situation and that he got himself into a position where Barcelona wanted him as first choice signing, um, partly because they felt it was the kind of glamour signing that would appease their fans. But for whatever reasons, they were prepared to go hard to try and sign him. And Coutinho recognised that this was his opportunity. This summer passed, he had the club he wanted to go to, prepared to spend a huge sum of money to sign him and give him a very valuable contract. So he saw that as, this is my window, I need to get out now because I don't know if in January, which is extremely unlikely, especially as he's now played for a Champions League game after last night, so he'd be cup-tied for the Champions League, or um, next summer will I get the chance to go? So he's 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 kind of... His, a lot of his actions through the summer were motivated by the idea, I need to do it now. Um, in terms of Klopp's use of him, um, I, I, I agree with you entirely, and it was bizarre that he, um, I can understand why he wouldn't put him in the starting lineup against Manchester City, but particularly when his attack had been working so effectively for the, the, the start of the season. But Liverpool don't have a, a deep and strong squad. Um, so if you have your best player, who has been playing football, in fact, scoring goals for Brazil in international duty, the obvious thing to do is leave him on the bench in case you need him, in case the circumstances of the match dictate you need to put on the player who, for the last two, three seasons, let's face it, has been Liverpool's game changer. When they get into matches where the opposition plays tactically smart, sits back and defends against them and they end up running into a wall and can't score goals. There's been a good number of those matches that they've won or got or got a draw because Coutinho's come on the pitch and scored a goal from 25 yards or created a goal um, out of nothing. He's He's been the key to get them those extra points in the difficult circumstances they face when Klopp's basically only tactic, standard tactic, um, doesn't work. So you'd want to have him on the bench for that circumstance, regardless of what your relationship is as a player, regardless of whether you're cheesed off because of the way he's behaved through this 
the summer. You you make the point um, that you're not go he's not going straight back in the team by not putting him straight back in the team, but have him on the bench just in case. And as it turned out, that game cried out for having Coutinho because they, they lost Sadio Mane to a, a correct red card. They went 2-0 down just before half-time. Klopp then, as far as I was concerned, basically went into damage limitation mode, albeit he didn't do it in a very sensible fashion. So he moved to back three and he took the the player who was most likely to score on the break in a 10, a 10 v 11 situation, which is uh, Bo Salah off the pitch and put Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain into the centre of his midfield, who was completely ineffective. That would be the time where you'd want to, if you're going to change your lineup, you put Coutinho on because he's the kind of player who can score that goal by himself um, against uh, 11 men um, on the break. But, and they went on and lost 5-0 and were uh, completely embarrassed. And um, Honestly, it wasn't just about being down to 10 men. That The midfield they played that day, I think, is probably the worst performance I've ever seen from a, 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 a midfield three from a top club in, in the Premier League. They were so far away from uh, from David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, it just became easy for Man City, Man City to get the ball to Fernandinho, pass to one of those two who were creating chances every five minutes because they had so much space to play. And it was, it was, it was an appalling performance. But... Klopp made that worse by his decision in punishing Coutinho by, by leaving him out of the match day squad for what is, let's face it, a very key fixture early in the season against what should be a title rival for, for Liverpool. Moving on to another Champions League game, PSG were awesome at Celtic Park on Tuesday night. Apologies to intrude on personal grief there, Ian. Are we already seeing, guys, early signs that they can achieve their ultimate goal of Champions League glory? I guess, <clears throat> uh, Johnny, we shouldn't put Celtic in the same category as the European superpowers of Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, um, Manchester United, Manchester City. So um, we'd be overstepping the mark, I think, if we said that um, scoring five against Celtic at, at Parkhead marked them down as, as contenders for this year's Champions League. But what I would say is the style in which the um, overran Celtic in that first half was ominous um, for other uh, Champions League uh, pretenders uh, for this season. Um, they simply continued the form they've shown in Liga so far this season and the trident of uh, Cavani, Mbappe and Neymar obviously um, functioned very well. Maybe not as effectively as in um, French League games Um but the person I was most impressed by was Rabiot, who um, I think Brendan Rodgers uh, failed to spot as a potential, uh, both uh, someone who would run the game for PSG in midfield and someone who could supply the uh, passes and possession that were needed to uh, get the goals um, for PSG on the night. Uh, I was very disappointed with Celtic. I thought off the ball, they were very naive. They didn't close space. They didn't close, uh, press uh, opponents enough. They knew they weren't going to have um, possession very much at the time. And yet they stood off and, and admired PSG rather than stay up close to them. Um, other than Anthony Ralston, of course, at right back, who got very close to Neymar on several occasions, just not close enough to take the ball off of him, but, but close enough to give him a lesson in Glaswegian, I think, 
as we saw from several uh, encounters between the two. I'm not sure um, how Neymar's Scottish, as I wouldn't say English, uh, but he seemed to get the message regardless, whether it was through the uh, kicks or through the language, I'm not sure. Um, but PSG, look, they are probably the most exciting team to watch in Europe right now. We talked a lot in the transfer window about them for all the obvious reasons. And, you know, you mentioned at the start that, that uh, you know, UEFA even resorted to sending a puff, one of their own FFP team onto the pitch to try and kick Mbappe to try and force uh, the FFP rules. No doubt in my mind that's what that was, although UEFA will never admit it. Um, and it will be very interesting uh, going through this Champions League first uh, group stage to see how PSG... Uh, come out on top um, of maybe that group, but also how they perform with regards to all their other rivals. Um, what about you, Duncan? What was your um, pro- what was your most effective, stroke, impressive Champions League performance of the week? I can look at. I think trying to work out whether Paris Saint Germain are going to win the Champions League based on a and a hammering of Celtic is a bit like trying to conclude whether Manchester United are going to win the Premier League based on a hammering of West Ham United. It's, um, we, we can't draw conclusions from these games. We shouldn't even try to. And if we look at PSG over the last few seasons in the Champions League, they've been a very impressive outfit. They've come up with some really good performances in the group stages uh, and also early on in the, the knockout stages. But the problem has been when they've got into key fixtures like the Barcelona game last season where they were you know, 4-0 up from the first leg and still managed to throw it away, they, they've lacked that experience of winning. And, and I, think, I think that's the key element here. And, and I, I know PSG were trying to address that with their, their transfer policy. They, they, there's that step, and we've talked about it before in this podcast, it's the step beyond being a very good team that's very competitive in whatever competition you're in and actually winning that competition. And, and you know, Manchester City, PSG are the two, the two projects where Middle East countries have bought clubs with the express intention of winning the Champions League and neither of them have got even vaguely close to it yet. Um, how do you get there? You know, Roman Abramovich tried to buy the, the Champions League with Chelsea, and it took him a long time to get there, and 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 he almost got there by default with a with a team that well, expected a manager who no one expected to. Ironically, Duncan, it was probably the worst team Chelsea had fielded all that season in the Champions League that won the actual final. <laughs> yes, yeah, and and the you know obviously the style of football was exactly the opposite of what Abramovich wanted to to win it with. But you know, going back to this element of 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 turning teams into winners. That's why, or that's one of the reasons why Paris Saint-Germain wanted to sign Dani Alves, because this is the guy who's won more titles than anyone else in European football. Is an out-and-out winner, has the experience at the top level. When Manchester City were talking to him, when Tottenham were talking to him, when PSG were talking to him, all of them were saying, we want Dani at this club not just for his ability on the football field, but his ability in the dressing room, his knowledge, his ability to transfer what it takes in the key moments, in the hardest of games, the highest level games, from potential success into success. So that should help them this year. Obviously, Neymar and Mbappe are going to help them, but you've still got to get over that psychological hurdle and we'll, we'll see how it goes from then on. But, I mean, I think the biggest biggest question from uh, 
from the Celtic PSG game is um, how are how are Police Scotland dealing with Ian McGarry's attempt to <laughs> to kick Kylian Mbappe off the pitch at Celtic Park? <laughs> I can absolutely confirm that was not me, but it may have looked like me. <laughs> <clears throat> and, saying, and, and sticking with Celtic there, Johnny. Um, interesting uh, little story uh, which has um, appeared in the last 12 hours is a, an interest from Everton in Anthony Ralston at Celtic, um, which I think has come as a bit of a surprise given the player, the, the guy's not played much first-team football. Um, however, he clearly has talent um, in, the, in his um, lexicon of uh, Portuguese stroke French, uh, which may well fit in well into the, uh, the Wayne Rooney um, regime at uh, Goodison Park. Um, but I, I have also have to say that Kieran Tierney, um, on the other side of Celtic's defence, uh, I was quite surprised that he wasn't the, the subject of more bids from Premier League clubs in last summer's window. And I suspect that when things begin to heat up in the Premier League, and by that I mean most likely in the, la- the bottom half, and managers looking to sign good defenders who have that um, exceptional quality that Tierney clearly has of getting forward and scoring goals, that Tierney will be on the radar of several English clubs in the Premier League come January. Um, but Ralston to Everton, I'd say, is one which is uh, only simmering at the moment. I wouldn't say it's very hot. I, I think you're right that the, there's, there's already a lot of Premier League interest in Kieran Tierney. Um, you know, there's a shortage of, of high quality left backs in football at the moment. Um, he's a guy who, you know, I've talked to a scout for one of the top Premier League teams, and he, he they this he rates him. He says he's got all the all the technical and the physical ability to play high level Premier League, but he felt that probably the net, the better move for him would be to a mid tier um, Premier League team to let to see whether he could establish himself at that level, and then he would be picked off by by one of the top clubs if he did well. Which is which, let's face it, is the pattern which most Premier League teams, top Premier League teams, operate these days. They don't want to take risks on younger players. Rather... Andy Robertson's a very good example, Duncan. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's um, you move to Hull City, you do well, and then then. Then someone like Liverpool says, "Okay, we'll we'll uh, we'll take the step up because you've you've showed that you can play in the Premier League." But I think I think also the other element with Tierney, if, and this doesn't come from any direct contact myself, but speaking to people who who have talked to Tierney, he doesn't seem to be pushing for the move at all. He genuinely seems to want to to love playing for Celtic and wants to continue in the the Scottish Premier League. So that that's helped Celtic retain him at. During a summer in which there certainly was interest from from Premier League clubs, but there'll come a point where where a decision will have to be made by him. There will be an offer um, if he continues his his current progress. Okay, gents, it's now time for our quick fire round. We're going to look at a few of the weekend's big ties. Simple question: What's the result? Duncan, Liverpool versus Burnley. Um, I think Liverpool just managed to win that one, but. Uh, they might struggle a bit because I think Burnley will play defensive football and um, and uh, put them in that problem situation that they've had, we've seen so many times with the supposedly weaker sides at Anfield. Chelsea, Arsenal. So much a quick fire there, Duncan. Well done. Uh, Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Man United, Everton. Manchester United, but again, a, a difficult fixture for them. Spurs, Swansea. Coming off the back of that win against Borussia Dortmund at Wembley, I think Wembley's now become not the hoodoo, but the heaven. Uh, Tottenham. 
Watford, Manchester City. Um, I fancy Watford, Marco Silva to uh, find the, the expose the problems in Guardiola's tactical setup and get at least a point. Celtic, Ross County. I wish I could say things like exposing the technical problems in Pep Guardiola's side and Marcus Silva being great on this one, but I just kind of say Celtic instead. Okay, that's all from us at the Transfer Window Podcast. We'll be back next week to continue to look at the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. In the meantime, if you have any feedback, banter or anything else you want to throw at us, you can follow us on Twitter at Johnny R. McFarlane, at Duncan Castles and at Garbosj for Ian McGarry. Garbo SJ. Garbo SJ, apologies. <laughs> if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe so you get it as soon as it becomes available. And if you enjoy our work, don't forget to rate us too. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.